Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges, where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I am your host, and I am thrilled to be here with you today again and so excited about my guest. As always, I begin first with a quote that I think might apply. Today's quote is, is uh, by Eckhart Tolle, and it is, acknowledging the good that you already have in your life is the foundation for all abundance. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about gratitude. Chris Shembra is the best-selling author of Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection. Chronicling his adventures is one of the most sought-after dinner hosts in the world. He is the founder and chief question asker of 747, an advisory firm which helps companies give the gift of community and belonging to their VIP clients and partners. Having used their signature pasta sauce to spark over 400,000 relationships around the dinner table, their core hypothesis is that giving gratitude to others is the key to fulfillment and ultimately it's good for business. So aside from 747, Chris is a contributing producer at O. Henry Productions, which both invests in and produces commercial theater. He's led social campaigns with over a million participants, lowering the suicide rate among veterans with PTSD. And the projects Chris has been involved in have been awarded 14 Tony Awards, seven Emmys, and a Grammy. I mean, among other awards, Chris was named Entrepreneur of the Year by Smart Hustle Magazine, and recently he was honored alongside Michael Phelps and Chris Evans and several others as six successful men smashing the mental health stigma by Good Men Project. There's so much. I could go on and on. I'll add more in the show notes, but let's just bring Chris on to tell his story. Welcome, Chris. Oh, Heather, I'm just so excited to be with you today. We've We've, um, you know, we were mutually introduced by, by Sharon and, and by Mitch Rothschild, and it's just become such a beautiful friendship. So thanks for having me today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. And I just am I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for you accepting and sharing your story, because I think every one of uh, the listeners here are going to walk away a little bit better today. Uh, I wanted to go first into, I'm going to backtrack and, and ask you more about your background, but I just was reading a little bit about the 747 business model revolving around a single question. I think that is so cool. And, and the question is, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? And I love that question, and I think it is a great place to start so that people can get a real feel for what you do. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit more about where that came from. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> in order to answer the question about the gratitude question, I'll, I'll tell you a brief three-minute story on how we got to that question. Okay, good. Um, July of 2015, I, life looked completely different. If you looked at my life, we had the shiny awards. I had a smile on my face. I had an apartment on the uh, Center Park West. I was traveling around the world producing commercial theater and uh, having a really good time at it. But uh, I realized 
that just because something looks good on paper doesn't mean it necessarily feels good in the heart. See, in July of 2015, I just come back from Italy after producing a Broadway play over there in Rome at Teatro Sala Umberto. And when I got back to New York City, I realized Italy had completely changed me. I realized in the moment that I felt four things. I felt lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, and insecure. And the last time I had felt those four things led me down a deep, dark, winding tunnel to suicide, depression, jail, and rehab. And I didn't want to go back there. So I thought back, what did I love most about my time in Italy? Well, it was, it was the food. More specifically, it was the pasta. Ooh. So I found myself alone in my studio apartment in Center Park West in Manhattan. I started playing around in my kitchen, accidentally created a pasta sauce recipe, and figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it's even good or not. So on July 15th of that year, I invited 15 of my friends over to my home, and a ritual began. 6.30 p.m. cocktails, 8 p.m. dinner, but at 7.47 p.m., now the name of my company, we put the pasta in the pot and delegated a bunch of tasks empowering the attendees to work together to create the meal. The, the literal act of getting people to pretty much return to their childhood by co-creating an experience, pretty much building a fort together, folding napkins, putting their hands in the pasta sauce, setting the table, serving each other. We got to have some, you know, pretty good meal. But at that very first dinner, the magic wasn't the pasta sauce. The magic was the question we asked towards the very end. See, after two hours of drinking and eating and conversing and being humans, I paused the dinner conversation and I asked that simple gratitude question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't, who would that be? And people went around the room talking about their mothers, their fathers, their third grade teachers, that bitch ex-girlfriend, the bully from high school, their god of their own understanding, themselves, Donald Trump, you name it, they talked about it. They were bringing forth these vulnerable stories of others, not themselves, of others. And we learned so much about those people by listening to them share stories of others, people from their past that help them get to where they are today, positive or negative interactions. And I think that's really important. I think two things about this are super interesting. The, the section where that you don't give enough credit or thanks to causes you to go just a little bit deeper because, you know, there are probably certain people in your life that you do. You thank on a regular basis. These are the people that you're closest to. But taking that extra step to think mm. about someone that you don't give enough credit or thanks to leads you to those deeper stories of maybe the relationship that wasn't the best, it, it maybe had some pain attached to it, but the lessons that you learned and the gratitude that you have for those lessons are enormous and we don't often go there. So that's one of the things I absolutely love about that question and I love that it has created this business model. But I, I want to, to just ask you, 
like what kind of response like how do people respond to this i mean being on some of those dinners that you have myself i i felt it personally i saw people change from the beginning to the end of the meeting and so i would love for you to share it how that transpired oh man so I'll answer by saying we did a research study. We commissioned a research study with our partners at Alpha HQ last year, and we interviewed thousands and thousands of people around the world about this question. What the study found is that 25.68% of the people gave credit and thanks to their mom. Mm. So <clears throat> in itself, what does that say about motherhood? What does that say about the relationship that we have with people who are sacrificing and showing us love, but we don't necessarily see that love. Maybe we speak a different love language than them. Maybe we're too stubborn to accept their love. Maybe we're too prideful to realize that we need the help of others. And those stories are pretty similar across the board. See, when people arrive to our dinner, uh, whether it's virtual or otherwise, you know, they likely feel a handful of a few things that I felt in that deep, dark moment. They probably feel lonely, disconnected, insecure, overwhelmed, just riddled with fear and anxiety about the future, whether they even know it or not. So this gratitude question acts like a, an intervention. Mm -hmm. It says, pause, mm -hmm. let's think about shit. Mm -hmm. And when you ask this question, you almost see people paralyzed for a split second. <gasps> Regret, shame. Oh my God, how have I not thanked that person? Oh, and that is the ticket to the soul. Mm. Just getting them to realize that they still have a lot further to know about themselves and where they come from, that in itself is switching on the brain for growth, right? That in itself, gratitude is scientifically proven to broaden and build the brain's thought action repertoire to develop positive emotions, curiosity, creativity, pride, self-confidence, self-efficacy. And so when we ask that question, the immediate response is, oh my God, you're right. I've never thanked my dad, but unfortunately it's too late. So the dinner table holds the space for these people to bring forth some beautiful stories. You'll hear people come out gay around the dinner table because they give credit and thanks to their ex-girlfriend who made them realize, I hate everything about dating a woman. They don't hate women, <laughs> but they hate <laughs> dating a woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love women. Don't worry. Um, I got a girlfriend, Molly. I'm taking. Don't worry. Um, but um, You'll hear people give credit and thanks to the boat captain that rescued them from scuba diving, being lost at sea for eight hours, and then the boat captain immediately pushes them back into the water so they don't have a lifelong fear of the ocean. Mm. You'll hear people talk about they never felt like they could come alive until their mother passed away, mm. or they never told their mother how much she me meant to her, to them, until she passed away. The brother or sister who has become distant, yet they built an entire company around 
their brother or sister's values. So the stories run bone deep. And it's the type of feelings that people need these days. We're so obsessed with what do we do? Where are we from? How's the weather? Who do you know? That we don't take enough time to realize who are the people that helped us get to where we are today, whether they fucked us over or they supported us with positive emotions. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is, I've had personally so many of these moments and, and one of the stories that I had shared was about my mother and someone else that I was sharing with in the dinner started to cry and she goes, I never cry. Right. <laughs> and, and so, um, and then that was brought up later on about how, you know, who's going to cry today because somebody always cries. Right. And, and so it just leads me to think that this, uh, getting in touch with your heart, getting in touch with your soul that you're talking about, it transforms your life, but in the sharing of it can transform another person's life too. Yeah, we, we call it observational gratitude. We, we literally coined the phrase, uh, our research team, mm -hmm. and we should probably trademark it. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it comes down to, you know, a, an old scientific principle of like observational learning, right? When a, when a dog observes another dog doing some form of behavior, they're likely to adopt that behavior, even if it's a behavior that they were just never born with. Mm -hmm. Right. If one dog who's new to a home observes another dog go to the specific place in the kitchen to beg for a treat, that dog's going to do that. Even if they've never communicated that that's part of a dog's life. And so we call it observational gratitude is that the benefits of gratitude in the small group setting is not it's 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 pretty much threefold. A, just you giving gratitude is good for your own well-being. Mm -hmm. You know, you answering this gratitude makes you happier, makes you, you know, feel like you're being heard. Uh, but two, you giving gratitude to people, like directly to their face, is awesome. Hey, mom, you happen to be at the same dinner. I'm going to give gratitude to you tonight. Waterworks. But number three, you giving gratitude and telling a story around a small group you know, around an 18 person dinner, the people listening to you are better off because then that's rewiring their brain for that behavior. They're mm -hmm. saying, oh my God, that looks so transformative and cathartic. And that person that just shared about gratitude even received the accolades of their peers for doing so. Oh my God, maybe that's a behavior I should adopt. Yes. Yeah. Um, so very yeah. powerful. Very powerful, Chris. Okay. I, I'm ready. Are you ready? I, I want to go back and I, I would love for you to, we're all warmed up now, warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I, I want you to go back and tell us a little bit about some of the pain and fear. I mean, this is called From Fear to Fire. So what brought you to that place before, you know, before all of this gratitude and, and sharing of this heart-centered place what brought you to that place of depression and, and rehab and, and, and thinking about suicide or what, what brought you there? My greatest childhood insecurity is that I'm always the last one called to the party mm. and I've never done something on my own. So 
growing up, I knew so many diverse groups of people. You know, I grew up on an island, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Wonderful, wonderful, you know, family destination, oceanfront resort. And so we had people by the droves coming to our island every summer, once a week for 15 years of their life. And I was better at meeting those people than I was at meeting the people that lived on the island year long. Hmm. I don't know. It's just how I was wired. Um, and so my greatest insecurity is that like, yeah, I had my close group of friends, but I had a lot of different close groups of friends and I was always the last one they thought of to call to the party. So many times in my childhood, I'd call up a friend to say, hey, what are you guys doing? And they say, oh, we're over at such and such's house. Do you want to come over? And I'm like, uh, yeah. uh. And that's the, that's literally, I wasn't invited to my own company's holiday party. They forgot to invite me. Oh my gosh, Chris. And so that theme has plagued me. So I always felt left out. I always felt on the outside. Even if I had a leadership position somewhere, it's likely because like I bullied my way in and they just gave it to me out of pity. If I was the president of something or the managing director of something or the volunteer captain of something, it's likely because like my mommy got, you know, such and such done or like I bullied my way in and they gave it to me out of pity. Now, whether that's the truth or not, which I don't think it is, that was my perception. That's what I lived with. Um, you know, I was the kid at the age of five who was given house horse tranquilizers, Adderall, um, which in my, in my case, it, it literally put blinders on me. It ruined my entire creative vision. I actually don't remember most of my childhood because of that trauma. I like my childhood is a black hole. My memory are my friends. Like if I need to be reminded of something, it's because a friend of mine is saying, oh yeah, remember when such and such happened? And I'm saying, I actually don't. Mm. So that happened at the age of five, which I used to sit on the national board of a great organization called Easter Seals. We've been around since 1919. We serve about 2 million people a year. And what I learned from my experience at Easter Seals is that what happens at the age of five really determines what's, you know, what's going to happen. And I remember they used to put me in rooms, padded rooms to study me, to keep me away from the kids. I was so creative and hyperactive and uncontrollable that there used to be a one-way mirror room in my Montessori school. And they used to put me in it every day. And my Montessori school teacher, Bianca Sharma, who now owns the uh, number one hotel in Italy, the number four hotel in Europe, a great, great uh, spot, Monastero Santa Rosa. But um, she, she told me at Thanksgiving three years ago, I remember the day you got your medicine. You used to see left, up, down, right, blah, blah, blah. And now you only just saw what was in front of you. And um, so that's where that trauma came from. And so when I, when, I, when I muddled that with insecurity, rejection, confusion of self-identity, et cetera, um, you know, th there, were, there were a lot of unknowns that I wasn't able to pursue as a kid. Um, and, and that came to a boiling point 
in my late teens, early 20s. Um, and it manifested itself. You know, I, I don't think I'm, well, yeah, yes. You know what? I am an addict. I'm a workaholic. I am a dinneraholic. I am a surfaholic. We're all addicted to something at some point. We just find ways to cope with it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a way to cope with it in my early 20s. So I turned to the worst things. I turned to money, car crashes, alcohol, cocaine, Adderall, a lot of it. And, you know, it, it reared its ugly head. So at certain times I was really high. At certain times I was really low. And when I was really low, it'd be, you know, it, it come out in different ways. And um, eventually I was, you know, they had, you know, they kind of paused my life and said, um, you, you got to go away. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, that, that was the, um, but I, I failed every rehab I went to. Um, <laughs> I, I don't do well with structure in life. I, um, you know, the, the, first, the first rehab that I failed was, um, you know, my, my first rehab, I did, I did cocaine and alcohol on the way into rehab. Mm. And then they, uh, they threw me into the woods, uh, the woods of Utah. And, um, and I kept failing because I would, um, I would walk on the cow tracks. I would walk with others when I was supposed to walk solo. I would sneak away. I would do all these things. Uh, the second rehab I failed was in Port Townsend, Washington, and I, um, I, I, I talked to girls, I wrote love letters, um, et cetera, et cetera, and then uh, the third rehab I failed, I, I think it was because of the girl thing as well. Well, it was. <laughs> Brooke Shapiro. <laughs> We're throwing Brooke to the wolves. Yeah, sorry, Brooke. <laughs> she, well, she, she, also went, yeah, she also caused my relapse on April 26, 2009, but that's a whole nother story. Or April 27th. <laughs> you, you know what, you know, one of the things I'm, I actually want to come back to, to how that, how that's been healing with what you're doing now, but I just want to take a moment. The, myself, um, my son, the, the most interesting clients and friends that I have, um, have gone through some massive trauma and pain and, and ways that they were so different from what was expected of them, the way they think, the way they view the world, the way that they interact with the world, the way they feel, just feeling different and, and ultimately finding and appreciating how those differences, when you embrace them, can make meaning and purpose and, and a difference in, in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so that, that has always fascinated me, that you wouldn't be here doing what you do if it weren't for the experiences that made you who you are. Yeah, I mean you know, the theme of your story is from fear to fire. Um, you know, my, my greatest fear is that an entire Island, you know, I was, a I was a loud mouth poster child, 
you know, son of Phil and Carol, nephew of the first mayor, I had a little bit of an image, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so the perception of me was, was that um, mommy and daddy always helped me out. I'd never finished anything on my own. I made it onto the football team out of sheer pity. I did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and that was all, that was all uh, backed up on, uh, I, I believe, uh, Saturday, Saturday, October 20th, 2017, um, I, I was giving my TEDx, uh, I was giving my TEDx talk on Hilton Head Island, mind you, and a man that I grew up working for, Mike Overton, came up to me and said, you had a lot of skeptics in this audience, uh, but you brought your voice and you brought your story and you made us all proud. You showed us who the, the true and real Chris Shembra is. Mm. And for that, I'm proud. And that was kind of a turning point to realize, okay, I turned that fear into the fuel mm. and dedicated my entire life to proving others wrong, <laughs> which isn't what you should dedicate your life to necessarily <laughs> but it's, it can be helpful in the journey <laughs> I have a, I have a couple of period years of my life where I did that as well yeah but it's luckily we've turned that fuel into impact mm -hmm. and I think that there's a lot of people who who sleep better at night because of the work that we've done and you know I'm, I'm honored to have you know to, to found our team and, and and to found something that we're passionate about and to be able to bring this work in, into the world and you know, impact the amount of people that we've been able to impact. So, so for that, I'm I'm grateful to all the doubters and the haters and the internalized fear because I, I think that propelled it. You know, not everybody's perfect. I think you know every genius has a mad genius inside them. Yes. Every not that I just not that I just de facto genius. I didn't mean to say that. I just meant like <laughs> we're we're all mad. We're all fearful. We're all fucked up. Mm. We're imperfect, and that's what makes us beautiful. That's what yeah. makes us unique. And when you can turn that from a negative into a positive as a matter of just shifting perspective, uh, which gratitude helps you do, mm -hmm. um, then you're able to use that for, for good um, if that's what you want to use it for. So, um, you know, so many chapters in my life, people have either still been disappointed in me or still told me to do something different or haven't even participated. There's a lot of people from my youth that still haven't participated or even my adulthood that haven't participated in now what I've built and become known for, mm -hmm. they are my fuel. Mm -hmm. They are my fuel. People whose companies I used to run, people whose stories I used to share every day, fuck them. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I am now the man I am because of your disbelief. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that shift in perspective is really what it's all about. And that can happen in an instant. You know, we feel like it has to be some big drawn out thing. You can shift your perspective in an instant and gratitude can change your state in an instant. And you mentioned, you know, chapters of your life. So of course, that's making me think, hey, this is the perfect segue to asking a little bit more about your amazing book, 
Gratitude and Pasta. Love the title, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection. Fantastic book. But I hear a little birdie told me that there is a very cool story attached <laughs> to this. So can you share that with our listeners? Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. I um, So I grew up in a family of authors. Um, my dad has been, my mom, dad, my uncle Norm, uh, have been publishing life learning material for 41 years. They've sold close to a million copies of their life learning day planners. So I knew growing up, I always wanted to be an author. And then I got up here to New York city and I started running in the business author, coach, consultant, speaker crowd. And all of my friends were authors. So I was like, dang it. My time is coming, but what am I going to write about? And then on Saturday, October 6th, 2018, I'm at a wedding in Seattle, Washington. My good buddy, uh, Sean and Phoebe, they're, they're accept, expecting a baby very soon. Right. I was out at their wedding. Uh, Sean's from New York. Phoebe's from Seattle. So I didn't know any of Phoebe's family. So during the reception, the family would kindly come up to our table to thank us for making the trip right the the mom the dad the bride's godfather all these kind of people and every time that they would come up to our table i would stand up and ask them my gratitude question it was just kind of like what i did and the mom the dad the godfather the all that stuff they all cried <laughs> uh, but that's, I, I've been asking this gratitude question to a heck of a lot of people. I'm used to people crying when I talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but, but the, the bride's mother said, Oh my God, that's such a great question. I mean, I'll probably use it in my social work, but can you take a walk with me, Chris? And she walks me up to the cousin's table and she looks ahead at the crowd and she says, uh, this is Chris, Phoebe's friend from New York, and he's going to write a book about the findings of a question he's about to ask you. <laughs> I looked at her and I was like, what? <laughs> and then I thought, you know, that, that's a pretty that's good, a good idea. And then all the cousins cried and I just walked away. But a little bit later in the, in the night, I saw the bride's father way across the venue gently grab the wrist of an older gentleman and start walking him my way. And I had recognized the older gentleman, but they, they were like fervently walking towards me. I was like, no way are they walking towards me, you know, through the crowd of people over the dance floor, past the bar, <laughs> excitedly comes up to me. And the father says, Chris, you got to ask Bill the question. You got to ask Bill the question. That was Bill gates awesome. and i said all right but before <laughs> i had the opportunity bill gets swept away by one of his friends the bride's father and bill are best friends mm -hmm. they you know all their friends were there so bill got swept away i was like ah crap <laughs> well a little bit later you know we're, we're me and my girlfriend are on the dance floor and bill and melinda start dancing with us and we're having a good time by the way they're great dancers like <laughs> are they <laughs> like well, I think if you really research Bill, his childhood was spent like on the tennis court and like mm -hmm. very active. So he actually has great rhythm. But 
I, I diverge. Um, <laughs> so we all get tired. We go back to our tables. I put my hand in my head, my head in my hands. And I say to my girlfriend, I can't believe I missed the opportunity of a lifetime. She said, what do you mean? He's sitting right over there. Go ask him. You'll regret it the rest of your life if you don't. Mm. And I walked up to them. Molly came with me. We sat down. We talked about this gratitude question. We talked about such emotional, intimate moments for so long. And it was amazing. It was amazing. You know, the whole crowd is saying, what are they talking about? What, how is he spending so much time? What did he do? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Didn't exchange contacts. Didn't brag about it to the friends. Just walked away. And I got back to New York and I said, holy crap, this is it. Yeah. If this question can make Bill Gates, Melinda Gates, four-year-old kids in Skid Row, and everyone in between, I got to do something with this. So the first thing we did was just start interviewing as many people as humanly possible. That's what we thought that this gratitude question was going to be, was an interview series. Mm -hmm. And we made it a goal to interview 808 people across the course of the year. And I'm like, God, that's a dumb goal. That's like, <laughs> that's like 20 people a week. But we started, we gathered this little team. We started doing all these interviews and we would interview like six people a day. Yeah. Venture back founders, Inc. 500 founders, fastest growing CEOs on the planet. But eventually I got burned out. Mm. And eventually I met a guy named John Rulin. And John Rulin is the king of gratitude. His, his, his company is literally called Giftology. He exists to help the world's best companies give strategic gifts to their VIP clients and partners. And at the end of the call, I said, I want to be you when I grow up. I said, <laughs> what's, the, what's the first thing I should do? And he said, hire uh, our PR firm, Adagy. So I hired the Adagy group. I said, what's the second thing I should do? He said, write a book. So I started talking about it with uh, Tucker Max, you know, four-time New York Times bestselling author, owns a group called uh, Scribe Media, book in a box kind of thing. I started talking to a bunch of different publishers, a bunch of different agents. But then I met with my buddies V-Band on, on uh, June 21st, uh, 2019. And he said, Chris, you should self-publish. I said, why? He said, so that you could give your ideas and your thoughts away for free as much as you humanly want. Mm. I said, true. I guess that's, that's what I'm going to do. So he connected us with our uh, Sarah Stibitz, who wrote the book with us, and the rest is history. Well, I've, a few hiccups along the way, but, you know, uh, Luckily, Forbes has ranked the book as the number two book of the year to create connection. Sweet. And, um, and, you know, and now we get to send it all over the world and uh, you know, package it in with our dinners, with our pasta sauce, all this kind of good stuff. So, um, cool. yeah, now, now it's a fun little thing. 
a fun little thing. It's a fun big thing now, Chris. Get used to it. But you well, know, this is a good opportunity for for those people who are out there listening, thinking, "I want the book. How do I find the book?" So, can you share how people can get a hold of you? If there's a specific website, what it is? Yeah, it, I mean, if you wanna, if you want the book, go to gratitudeandpasta.com. Mm-hmm. and uh, it'll send you to Amazon or you can just go straight to Amazon. Um, if you want to reach out to us, either just find us on LinkedIn, our team monitors our inbox, or just email info at 747club.org. Um, you know, we, we are always, in, in addition, and I know we really didn't even talk about business, but um, in, in out, outside of our client dinners, you know, now we produce virtual dinners for the biggest companies on the planet, Microsoft, Dell, IBM, Google, American Express, Salesforce, you name it, we've worked with them. But we still host free community dinners. They're like, I don't know, every uh, two weeks or something. Uh, but our team, if you, if you email info at 747club.org, uh, we'd love to have you to the dinner table and uh, as our guest. And you'll, you know, you'll get the benefit of uh, meeting good people and exchanging in gratitude. And um, I can personally guarantee you'll leave feeling some form of positive uh, personal transformation. Well, I can personally guarantee that too, because I'm usually, <laughs> I'm usually in a good mood, but the last one I went to, I was kind of in a crappy mood when I showed up, but by the end, I was in an amazing mood. So it is 100% transformational and anybody out there who's driving, don't try to write it down. We'll put it in all of these links and the information in the show notes. We, uh, you know, the time absolutely flew by and... Do you have, I'm sure we need to do a whole other show for you, but do you have like one tip, one action, one thing that you really want people to leave with? What, what, what would that be? Focus equals growth. Do one thing. On Sunday, January 24th, 2016, I went snow sledding with my buddy Trip, our buddies Martin and Ilsa, our buddies Dave and Lindsay. And we went up to Dave's apartment afterwards. Great, expansive apartment overlooking all of New York City. Big, big skyscraper. And and Dave looked, and there, Dave is a very wise and successful man. He, he makes about $500 million a year. Is that all? He, 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 is a, he is a very successful man. And at that time in my life, we had just quit. I just quit running my theater, our, our theater company. And um, I was kind of lost. I had, a, I had a one person office in WeWork at the time, just trying to figure my shit out. Mm-hmm. And I went into Dave's you know, apartment and we sat down drinking beers. And he said, so Chris, what are you going to do now? I said, I don't know. Uh, I'm good at social media marketing. We had just won two Emmy Awards for that. I'm good at producing videos. I'm good at producing theater. You know, all the Tonys and Grammys for that. I'm good at hosting dinners. We've done like 20 of them or something. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
He says, which one of those kind of lights you up the most? Said the dinners. He said, which one is the most unique service offering? Said the dinners. He said, which one will probably be the hardest? Said the dinners. <laughs> he said, good. I, I think you found your answer. You know, you can't chase two rabbits at the same time. They'll both get away. Focus equals growth. And to all the listeners out there, I say pick a date. You want to do something in life? Pick a date and work backwards. Mm -hmm. And try to focus on just doing one thing. You'll learn so much more about yourself by iterating small micro movements around one thing that maybe one day you'll wake up and be the best in the world at what you do. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be all that you do. I'm not saying quit your nine to five to pursue a life of passion. I'm saying you got your job, neat, well, on the side, pursue something so fervently that you develop passion because of it, not the other way around. I think that passion comes from hard work. Hmm. And Nick, I learned that from my buddy, Nick Schleckaway. Nick Schleckaway was the team captain of the 2007 um, Fiesta Bowl in which Boise State upset the University of Oklahoma with the last-minute Statue of Liberty play where the guy proposed in the end zone, <laughs> which went down as literally ranked the greatest play and the greatest game in all of sports for that year and will go down as one of the greatest college football games of all time, by far. And I was interviewing Nick Schleckaway a couple weeks for oh, a couple weeks ago for it. He was the team captain. And he said, passion comes from hard work, hmm. not the other way around. Man. Devote and dedicate yourself to something and you'll fall in love with it. I love that. I love that. That's, you know, I, I kind of think of it as the other way around, that you're willing to do the hard work and it won't feel like hard work if you're passionate, if you follow your passion, right? But that's a really great shift for the people who come to me and say, I don't know what I'm passionate about. To, to, to choose something and work toward it fervently and you will, the passion will grow. I absolutely love that, Chris. And focus, yes, totally key. I'm with you on that. And I have absolutely, as I knew I would, completely enjoyed and am grateful for the time that you've spent with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Heather. It's been a, a true pleasure.